I thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you have given us such a, an everlasting hope through the resurrection of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that you have translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you have extended to us the gift of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you would move upon us this morning with great power and great anointing. I humble myself before you, Father, and stand in great need of you. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would be spiritual and not carnal. I pray, Father, that we would take your word with all seriousness, Father, and devotion. Father, I thank you that we would live lives of faith. And through that, God, there would be testimonies of glory to you for all that you've done through our life and the way that you reward faith. I thank you so much, God, that you are with us today. You have brought us through many turbulent years. Father, you have brought us through pandemics. Father, you have continued to lead us in the times of crisis. And in a world that's full of instability, you are our rock and our stability. And it is to you that we look. You're the one that takes care of us. Let us be seekers of the kingdom of heaven and your righteousness. And I ask it all, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Eventually, I'm going to get to 2 Corinthians. If you want to turn there, um, I've got a few scriptures that I want to read from this morning. I know that I want to go to 2 Corinthians 9. I want to go to Psalms 20. So if you just prepare this, I think I'm going to visit Hebrews at the end. So I want, I want to be able to speak to you about that. This is the first of the year, and it's just something that we typically do. And I want to talk to you this morning about giving. And I, I know immediately that whenever I begin or any pastor comes before the church and begins to give a message on giving, that there are those that are in the church that immediately like, man, I didn't come to hear this. I came to hear some message that's going to convict me and that's just spiritual in nature. And sometimes you think that all the, the pastor is after is your money. And I assure you, that it is not your money or my money that God needs. I assure you of that. That God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so because we do give messages about giving, and you know, messages about tithes and offerings and so forth, I want you to understand there could be an, another reason or many other reasons why these messages are given and they're not after your money. One thing is, as a pastor, it is my responsibility to teach to you the whole counsel of God. It is not to preach to you just one common thing other than Jesus Christ, but it is to teach what God's word has taught us, his whole counsel. And part of God's counsel is about giving. Jesus spoke more about giving than he did heaven and hell. And I believe because one of the things that giving truly reveals about your present state spiritually is really where your heart is. And so a second reason that we talk about giving is because of this. I personally desire for God to be your treasure. I would pray with all of my heart that the thing, the one that you love the most is Jesus Christ. That you would love to invest everything that you are into him. As a matter of fact, the grace that struck Paul's life, and I say struck it, because if you really come into the grace of Jesus Christ, it's going to treat you like a hurricane. It is going to shake everything up in your life. It is going to cause you to be able to understand and come to the conclusion that everything outside of Jesus Christ is dung. Whatever these things the world can give me compared to Jesus, it's absolutely nothing. And beloved, I want Jesus to be the treasure of your heart. 
I want you to be able to express through your giving that Jesus Christ is truly the one that you really do love. I also desire for you to be kingdom seekers and that you would have treasures laid up for yourselves in heaven. You don't buy your way into heaven, but you by faith believe in God's son, Jesus Christ. But as a result of that belief and that faith, there is a walk that we walk. And God told us very clearly, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves can come in and steal it and moth can corrupt it. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no thieves will steal that. And giving is an aspect of that. It is not all about it, but giving is a great aspect of that. And certainly giving is not just in the context of your money. But giving is in the context of your time, your hearts, your lives, your devotion, your sacrifices. Giving is expressed in all of those areas. I also want to talk to you about giving because I want you to be prepared in the evil day. There is an evil day. There are days that are filled with persecution and trouble. We live in a very unstable time. The governments of our world are in a crisis. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to acknowledge it. We want to be able to have this feeling that everything is okay. I'd like to disrupt your feeling. Everything is not okay. The world is in trouble and it needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would be so shaken out of our comfort zones that we would truly live in such a way that when the evil day may come to our personal lives, we are protected by God. There's, there's, there's scriptures that, that give us that, and we're going to go into that today. Another reason that I want to talk about giving is because I want you to have full access to God's grace. I want you to have full access to God's grace. You say, Pastor Lee, can you buy God's grace? No way. But I can tell you something. There is a relationship between grace and giving. They are married together. And you cannot separate them. If you take giving out of grace, you no longer have grace. But whenever you have grace, you're going to have the giving of our life all enriched in that. It is so much a part of it. It can never be removed from it. And I want you to know that. And another reason that I want to talk to you about giving is because I want you to know how to ask God. Because I've come to understand that there's a lot of times believers do not know how to petition the Lord. They've got situations in their life, for example, even in their infirmities. We don't really know how to ask God to touch us where we're wounded. We don't know how to ask God to touch us where we're hurting. But the Bible says that he's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And so oftentimes we don't bring our feelings to God. We just bring our King James prayers to God. But God wants our feelings. God wants us to express to him our fears and how we're hurting and the wounds that are in our life or how we've been wounded or betrayed or abused by a particular situation in life. God wants us to pour that out to him. That touches him. It touches his compassions. But we don't oftentimes do that. So we bear our wounds wondering, why isn't God answering me? And it's because we're not touching him. And it's the same thing with giving. There are times in our life when we have needs in our life. And maybe finances are tight. and Maybe things are difficult. Or maybe you've come into a crisis again, like the evil day. And, and you need help. And you're praying for God to give you help. And you're saying, well, pastor, I'm asking him. I'm praying. I'm asking God to bless me. I'm asking God to maybe give me a better job or to give me a raise. But how does the Bible teach us to ask? Give and it shall be given. 
That's one of the, that's one of the instructions that, that God teaches us. And when you look at the life of God involving himself with men all the way back to the beginning of time, whenever God engaged himself in a, in a way that he was about to bless people, he asked from them first, you give it to me and I'll give it to you. To the woman at the well who needed water, he said first, you give me something to drink. If you give me something to drink, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. We don't know how to ask God. We don't know how to ask him. We just think if we ask God the way we ask, maybe people, then God's going to bend to that. Maybe if we fast a little bit more, God's going to bend to that. And so these are the avenues that God gives us of grace to be able to walk with God and to be able to receive the things that God has for us. Because, beloved, I'm here to tell you this morning that all of the promises are in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. There's not one of them that God's holding out on you with. And please understand this. If God gave the greatest gift of all, his son, Jesus Christ, then don't think that God would hold out from you on the lesser blessings because everything other than Jesus is lesser. But he gave you the best to let you know that everything else is yours. But you've got to come in faith to believe him. And you've got to come the way God said. Cain said, I'm going to go my way and I'm going to give God what I want to give God. And I'm going to give him what I think God ought to accept. And guess what? God didn't accept it. You're not the God. Cain's not the God. God is the God. And we come to the Lord in the way he is prescribed by faith. We're going to see the reward of God on our life. We're not buying anything from God. We're not being manipulated by prosperity preachers or anything else like that. But don't let them rob us of the truth of God and the truth of God's blessing. So I present these things to you this morning. And I just want to talk to you about them just really out of my heart. And what giving has meant to me. What it's meant to my life since I was a little child. And what I've seen God do. And I believe to see God continue to do. And the relationship that I have enjoyed with God. When I think about Israel in the Old Testament, and I think about them in bondage with Egypt, before God would bring them out of their captivity, he had the Israelites to go to their Egyptian masters and require of them their gold and their silver. And God had put it in the heart of these Egyptians that they would give lavishly to the Jewish people. They had served as slaves without much payment, and now payment day was coming. And the Egyptians just gave lavishly to, to the Israelites because God moved upon their heart to do so. And while they're passing through the wilderness, God would instruct Moses on a tabernacle that God wanted built. And God would house his glory and his presence in this tabernacle. And God would move with the nation of Israel. So in the construction of the tabernacle, what did God require? He required the people of Israel to give of their gold and silver. And they would make a contribution to the things that were in God's heart. And Moses would speak to the people of Israel and say, this is in God's heart. God wants to tabernacle with us. And God requires of us to give him our gold and our silver and our fine linen. And God is going to construct a tabernacle through the things that we give to God. We get to participate in it. We get to have a part in what God wants to fulfill. This is fulfilling the desires that are in God's heart. And the Jewish people gave lavishly. They gave so wonderfully that Moses had to go to the people and say, Hey, y'all, that's enough. We have enough. Isn't that wonderful? 
God doesn't want it all. But he gives what he gives to you because he knows I'm going to require this from you in order to fulfill the desires that are in my heart. Will you give it to him then? Everything you have, God's given it to you. The, the wealth that you have, the Bible says God gave you the power to create that wealth. The God who gave you that power, the God who gave you that health, the God who gave you the wisdom, the God who gave you the breath can take it from you. Wealth is fleeting. And so the Israelites gave. And here's the thing that I just want to say to you this morning. We could possibly sit back and say, well, you know what? If God wanted a tabernacle, why didn't he just create it? If God needed silver and gold, why does he need mine? He can just make his own. I mean, after all, God spoke everything into existence. It would be nothing for God to speak the gold and speak the tabernacle and speak everything that God wants and the clothes for the priest. Why doesn't God just speak it into existence? But the truth is, he didn't do that. He could have, but he didn't. He wanted his people to cooperate with him. God has put you in places of life that nobody else can go into. And in the places of life that God has put you in, he blesses you and he cares for you. And God does not require everything that you have, but he does require things that you do have. And God requires those things so that you have the opportunity to participate in fulfilling the desires that are in the heart of God. And that's one of the beautiful things about giving. When Israel came to provide for the tabernacle, there was great joy in everything that they were able to give. I want to explain to you something that is very common, but oftentimes we take for granted a lot. You come to church and an offering basket is placed around, passed around. What do you give? How much do you give? God watches. God takes it into consideration what you give. We put in a dollar. We put in 10. We put in 20. Maybe we get two twenties and a ten and say, this is enough for the church. This is enough for God. But what are we providing for? How does this work? God could do anything. God could just speak and he could create more property. God could speak and he could put a building on the property. He could do it without any effort whatsoever. But God rather requires the participation of his people. So we have this building. We're not sitting under a tree. And for that matter, maybe some people will say, well, why don't we sit under a tree? Good. Which one? Which one? And it's not that we shouldn't do that. But we're talking about a, a church and a fellowship and a continuity of believers that are going to meet day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, where we're going to have weddings and funerals and we're going to celebrate people's lives. Where we want to be able to come together as the body of Christ, as our vision is, and be able to come in here and have the opportunity where we can preach the gospel, not to the lost. This is not the mission field. This is where believers are built up. This is where we are equipped. We don't want to have to come and fight the devil for the next two hours while we're trying to be built up in Christ so we can go out to the streets and fight the devil and do the work of God. So what tree do we meet under? What permits do we get? That costs money. You didn't bring your lawn chair to church today, right? Because things are provided through our giving we make these things possible. I just made a list of this. And let me tell you something. 
I, I, have no, I have no hesitation in asking for offerings. And I'll say it for this reason. I say it because I believe that what God has allowed First New Testament Church to do and participate on in, I believe you would be hard-pressed to find a work that is of more worth while for us to be in than this. Because I, if I felt or believed that there was something else we could put our money in that was more worthwhile to the kingdom of God, I would do that here. We're doing everything that God has shown us to do. So just consider what your giving provides. Next time you put 10 bucks in and you think that's enough for the church, think about it. We supply, you don't bring these things to church. We supply napkins and plates and cups, toilet paper. We never think about that. Kleenex, aren't you glad you don't have to bring your roll of toilet paper to church? Coffee, electricity, where does this come from? Certainly costs more than 10 bucks. Buildings, utilities, cleaning supplies, plumbing, insurance, music equipment, tech equipment, means to live stream out to the public, yard work, heating and air. You glad we have that? Resources for our guests and members. Yard maintenance, security, tables and chairs, laundry, cleaners, disinfectants, gas for the church truck, materials for ministries. Not only that, we reach out locally. And these are just the things that happen on a consistent basis in our church. We have ESL classes, LSU outreaches, Southeastern outreach, Southern outreach that's coming up, international dinners and outreaches, the right to life. All for Christ, the Hill, discipleship groups, our young adults ministries, our young couples ministries, various fellowships, our fireplace ministry with our children, our Sunday school classes, our community outreaches, our prison ministry, our Spanish ministry, our ladies ministry, our men's ministry, our retreats, our greet teams, our nursery and our nursery workers and our nursery provisions, the conferences that we hold each year to try to build you up spiritually. The local ministers outreach that we do every month, social media and live stream, helping the poor, benevolence, marriage counseling, benevolence within our church, political and legislative issues and work, music ministry, helps ministry, grief ministry, sick and shut-ins, hospital ministries, funerals, weddings, struggling marriages, feeding families, disaster relief. That's just things that we do on a consistent basis. Is $10 enough? The ministries that we're able to serve abroad and overseas. Every month we minister to over 275 pastors in their churches. We have ministers fellowships nationally and locally. We are part of missions that is fighting sex trafficking in Europe and in America and South America. We help support orphanages in Alabama, Louisiana, Moldova, Africa, Ireland, and Central America. We have missions in Spain, the Dominican Republic, Peru, Morocco, the 1040 window, Egypt, Turkey, Africa, Moldova, Scotland, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Thailand, Pakistan, Hungary, Germany, Belgium, Jewish communities in the United States, Indian reservations in the United States. We help support and help those who are pioneering new churches in unreached countries, 
supporting counseling to hundreds of churches in the United States, ministry in India, Chile, Colombia, conferences, fellowships, and retreats, mail-outs, Korean refugees in the United States, our ministry to Israel, the Louisiana Family Forum, the Family Research Council, Honduras, just to name a few. Is $10 enough? Is $20 enough? Is $50 enough to fulfill the heart of God? That God wants his gospel to go into the world? That God wants to have a place where his people can meet and the people can be built up and the people can be enriched in their life? And so I think it is an incredible thing that God has extended to me that says to me, Lee, I want to bless you. And out of the blessings that I give to you, I'm asking that you would give a portion of that back to me to fulfill the desires that are in my heart. Because I want to continue to reach Israel. And the Holy Spirit would say, I want to continue to see churches built up in unreached countries. I want to continue to see the gospel going to people that don't have access to Jesus Christ or his gospel. So what I'm giving you, Lee, would you give a portion of that back to me? So that my church in Baton Rouge can be successful and it can thrive. We can have better ministry on the LSU campus. And maybe because international students at LSU do not have automobiles to travel in. And it's very hard to get around Baton Rouge. It's not a walking city. That perhaps maybe one day we could maybe have a facility out at LSU. Maybe a place where we could open up a, a place where internationals and college students, because they don't have great transportation, could come to a place where there's a church on campus and we can witness to them and we can preach the gospel to them. We can build up the body of Christ for international missions. And when they graduate and they go back to their countries, to Africa and India and Pakistan and China and everywhere else and countries that you can't even and I can't even get to, they're going to go back and preach the gospel of Jesus because we invested in that campus or do we tell God oh God we really wanted to but we just didn't have the money to do it and God says you didn't have the money to do it I gave it to you I gave you everything I wanted you to do everything that I've required is there before you just give me the portion of it back walk with me talk with me I, I'm not I'm not going to manipulate you in what you give and I certainly don't mind bringing conviction to any of us about our giving. I pray that we will take this to heart and understand the privilege that is ours. But I want you to understand giving is a grace. And I want you to understand that giving is, it gives us access to an abundance of grace. And this is in 2 Corinthians 9. And I want you to read this with me. We're going to go to some other chapters but first, let's just spend a moment here. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. And it's obvious all the way back from 2 Corinthians 8 that he's talking about monetary, monetarily giving. But he says in verse 6, this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. You can sow sparingly. That's what you're going to reap. And he that sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And so you can do that. You can sow sparingly or bountifully. That's your decision. God doesn't want you to grudge and murmur when you give to him. So he says, every man according as he's purposed in his heart, so let him give. And I would pray that for you. Let it be a purpose in your heart. 
Don't let it be a discipline of the church. Don't let it be a law. But, but let it be the purpose of your heart. I purpose within my heart, within my emotions and my passions to be a part of God's kingdom by giving like this. And you decide between the Lord, you and the Lord, what you're going to do. Not grudgingly or of necessity. Oh, I better do this or I'm going to get it. No, but because you, you have it in your heart to do it. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now that's a promise. This is a relationship of grace. And God is saying, listen to me, just look up for a minute. God is saying to us, listen. I don't want your complaining money. I don't want your grudging gifts. I don't want you to give because you think there's some necessity to it. I want you to give it because your heart wants to. And I want you to give it as you purpose in your heart. And listen, you can give a little bit and get a little bit back. Or you can give a lot and get a lot back. That's your personal decision. But I am the God who can cause you to be abundant in everything for your life. And this is what he tells us. I can make all grace abound to you. All grace. Not just monetary grace. All grace can abound toward you. So you always. Isn't that great? Always. Whatever the government of the United States does. Whatever the the economies of the world may do. Whatever crisis might hit farming. Whatever might go on with electric cars and the rise of gas or inflation, whatever happens, God's saying, listen, if you will get into a relationship with me in your giving, because you purpose to do it in your heart, I can cause all grace to abound to you always in everything. Wow. All right, God. Now it's just a matter, do I believe God or not? So forget the preacher. And forget the church. You give to God, and you might put it in that offering plate, but your offering of sacrifice is done the moment you put it in that offering plate. Now the church and the financial committee is going to answer to God with what they did with it. You did in good faith what you were given to God. And so he says this in verse 8 again, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown. And increase the fruits of of your righteousness. That's what God does. He increases it. Talks about bread and sustenance and the multiplication of things. Being enriched, and I just want you to hear these words, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness because I want to share a testimony with you this morning. 
And I, I just want you to hear these words. That God is able to make all grace abound to you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. That means something to me. It meant something to me when I was six years old. And I was reading this. And God, in verse 10, is able to increase the fruits of your righteousness. It meant something to me. Being enriched in everything. To all bountifulness. That meant something to me when I was six years old. Which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service. Not only supplies the want of the saints. But why didn't God just take care of them? If God wants his saints to be taken care of. Why doesn't God just do it? He is. By what he blesses you with. He wants you to participate in what pleases his heart. So the administration of this service not only supplies the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings to God. When, when, when you are a giver out of your heart, through grace, acts of faith, God always gets the glory. It always goes to him. Some people try to buy things and buy people. But that's not the giving that blesses God. The giving that blesses God is when the gifts are given, people just say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for taking care of me. Because most of the time, the people, when they give it, let them know this is from the Lord. And then he says this in verse 13. While by the experiment of this ministration... That meant something to me. When I was six, I didn't understand it, so I had to study it. So you're six years old and this really, I don't believe it. Well, that's up to you. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was six. God was speaking to me in his word, and it would provide the direction of my life. And I'm going to share some of that with you this morning. But this... Verse 13, experiment of this ministration or the experiment of this ministry. That word experiment means this, something that is being tested and proven to be true. That's what it means by the experiment. It's something that's being tested and proven to be true. And that is a ministry. And when I was young, I began to understand I have an opportunity to prove to the world by experiment that God's word and God's grace is true. And it was through this ministry of giving. And the experiment of that has proven true to my life. And then he says this in verse 14. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto you for his unspeakable gift. And then he talks about that, that the people have, an, have a longing for these people because of the exceeding grace of God that's in them. And I would pray that we would be a people that others would long after, not because of our abilities, but because of grace. That there would be such an abundance of grace in our life. And God would get the glory for everything that would happen in our life. I would, I would pray that. Now li listen to me carefully. That God wants all grace to abound to you in every situation at all times. That's God's desire for your life. 
But one of the things that opens up this abundance of grace to your life is not the discipline of giving. It's not the manipulation to give. It is the heart of giving. It is a person who has within their heart the desire to give to God. The desire to help the saints. The desire to be a part of something that is fulfilling God's desires in this generation. And when a person has that heart and they have found an avenue where they can invest themselves, invest their time, invest their prayers, and invest their finances in something that is fulfilling the heart of God, then they jump in it and they do it. And it's not because of some kind of manipulation. And God opens up grace upon their life. It is in this context that God says, I can make all grace abound to you. Think about that. Just think about it for a moment. All grace abound. It's not just saying, you give me $10, I'll give you 100 He may never give you $100 back, but maybe he'll heal your dishwasher. I have no idea God's going to give that back. Maybe he'll keep your kids from drug addiction. That'll save you a lot of money, won't it? <clears throat> I had a friend come in here whose, whose daughter had, had a very rare cancer that was the chances where it was going to take her life. And if it didn't take her life, it was going to certainly change her life. She was a young girl in her 20s. And he came in here and we prayed. He had, he had never been to this church before, grew up Catholic. He was always in the Catholic church and he came here because he was just in desperate need for help. Because he has, he had, he has so, so, so much money, but all of this money could do no good now with, with cancer and his daughter. And so the church prayed and we believed God and he goes to MD Anderson three days later. He says, Pastor Lee, you sitting down? I said, I am now. He said, the doctors just ran tests. She has no cancer. <clears throat> and I say this, I say, how much money did that save you? How much money did that save you? Now, how are you going to serve God? What are you going to do for the kingdom of God so more and more people are exposed to that God who heals and that God who delivers? And so our giving does that. One of the things that really stirs me about ministry and missions and being invested in pastors and churches around the world that I really want to help them is because God tells me in his word, in Galatians chapter 6 and also in the book of Hebrews, It tells me this, do not grow weary in doing good, especially for those who are in the household of God. Do good to all men, but especially the saints, because God is not going to forget your labor of love that you showed to the saints. God's not going to forget it. And I'm, I'm just thinking, God, if these pastors and these ministers scattered around the world are out there serving you on the front lines and they're being buffeted by hell. And before the devil can ever hit the church, he hits those pastors. Then, God, if I can serve them, if I can wash their feet, if I can minister to them, if I can give them a financial blessing, if I can express your love to them, then, God, I want to do it. I want to help them because it's in my heart to do, but I also, by grace, have this promise from you, you're not going to forget it. You're not going to forget. I'm, I'm telling you something, guys. God does not forget it. Just ask Cornelius, who's lost, and he, he, he knows there's a God, but he's lost, and he doesn't know who God is. And an angel of the Lord comes to Cornelius, 
And he says to Cornelius, God has remembered your alms and your offerings and your giving. Wow. You talk about opening up the abundance of grace. I think Cornelius would say, amen. He did it for me. I was giving alms. I was giving benevolence. I was giving offerings. And an angel of God came to me and told me to go get this guy named Peter who came to us and told us about Jesus. And he said, you know what? My whole house got, they not only got saved, we got baptized in the Holy Ghost. My whole house. Because here's a man who feared God, hated evil, but he didn't know who God was. So he's just giving these offerings to an unknown God, knowing that if God is God, he certainly has to recognize this. And God did. And God came to him. And God helped him. Malachi even makes the same thing. God says, listen, come and prove me. Come and prove me. Bring the tithes and the offerings to my storehouse. And see if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven. Prove him. 2 Corinthians 9, 13. Do the experiment of this ministry and prove him. And bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse. The storehouse is where you go get your grain. You can send your money out to missions. That's up to you and God. But I can tell you this, when you're on your deathbed, the missionary's probably not going to be there. And when you need a funeral, the missionary's probably going to be on the field somewhere and can't make it. And you neglected the church your whole life, or you can't pay an electric bill, your missionary's probably not going to pay it. You're going to need your church to do it. And we sometimes certainly don't have a problem receiving from the church, but we oftentimes have a big problem in giving. So I don't want to give my tithes, but you know what? I can't eat this week, so I want the tithes of the people that gave this week to feed me. But I ain't going to help nobody else by giving my tithes. No, bring your tithes into the storehouse and your offerings and see if God will not open to you the windows of heaven. That's what Malachi teaches us. And so I pray that it sinks into your heart and you will begin to understand that. Psalms 20, I just want you to read this with me. If you claim any psalm, and you don't claim this, then how can we be those who pick and choose? In Psalm 120, <clears throat> there is an evil day. <clears throat> and my distress, I still hear pages, Psalm 120, like right in the middle of your Bible. One, two, zero. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. In the Lord, beautiful. So wonderful. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? Or what shall be done to you? You false tongue. Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. And I think about this and I think about the Lord delivering his people. You know what? I'm in the wrong psalm. Wow, I'm wondering, wait a minute. This isn't what I read here. Psalm 20. Take away the one. Take away the one. And let's see if it's 20. 
Grace, grace. It, hey, that <clears throat> somebody needed that. <laughs> Cry to the Lord in your distress, all right? He will hear you. But this is another one very similar. Grace. I never said I was perfect. I tell you all, I'm horrible, and, you, and most of you are shocked when you find something wrong with me. <clears throat> I'm warning you, don't be shocked. Buckle up. Psalm 20, this is it. Thank you, Lord. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. Remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. And there's God again remembering your offerings and your sacrifices. And we find in 2 Corinthians 9 that the delight of God is the cheerful giver, right? So it's not like, okay, I'm going to give all this money to God because there's a day of trouble coming. And when that comes, God, you owe me. No, no, no. Whatever's not of faith is sin. And the only thing that pleases God is our faith. So it's a relationship of faith, not manipulation. Don't let anybody manipulate you in your giving. But please understand the opportunity that God gives you through grace to have the windows of heaven opened upon your life. And we find this even, as I said, with Cornelius. But here's this psalm, David, saying, remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. Because in the day of trouble, the name of God, the name of the God of Jacob will defend me and send me help from the sanctuary. Our God is a delivering God. And I don't believe that God is going to look in his accounting book to see how much money you gave the next time you get in trouble. Say, ah, you're, you're a few dollars short. Sorry, you're on your own. That's not who he is. He's gracious and he's merciful. And his compassions are stirred towards you and he's going to help you. He always helps us. But sometimes the help doesn't always come the way we want it to. And we miss it. And we don't recognize it as the help of God. And when I read this, I, I just... I think about this in Psalm 20, about the day of trouble, <clears throat> and there is a day of trouble coming, and I think about that. And I, I just want to make these comments. I'm going to try to do this calmly so you won't think I'm fussing at you. The day of trouble is coming to the world, a day of tribulation, a day of pestilence, and a day of persecution. As a matter of fact, we are a people who is living on the eve of that. And maybe our generation will see that in the earth. And I'm talking about the great tribulation and the rapture of the church and so forth. And if you believe that, but you don't have offerings to God and worship to God, don't talk to me about the coming of the Lord. Don't talk to me about the rapture of the church. Don't come talk to me about the tribulation. Because if you're not giving in regards to that day, you don't believe it. You just don't believe it. Because if you really believe we are that generation that is about to face the greatest trial the earth has ever faced, we would be doing everything we can to get the gospel to everybody we can. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. I love you. I need you every service. You're the best. I don't know who you are, but meet me. <clears throat> Beautiful. 
So let me ask you this. How many of you want to be like David? The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And, and we're certainly acquainted with David's worship and his intimacy with God, right? Have you ever admired him? You have, have you ever admired his intimacy with God? Have you ever admired his heart for God? His unashamed worship of the Lord? And you just sometimes, you know, and I, I, he's, he's one of my favorite. I'd love to spend time with David. Just how did he know what he knew? I want to worship like him. And there's a passage in First Chronicles that gives us a little insight into his heart. I want you to see this. Maybe two more scriptures, this one and another one. But in First Chronicles, we learn something about David. In First Chronicles 21, verse 24, there's pestilence in Israel. And people are dying. And the Ark of the Covenant was in Ornan's house. And so David goes there. And in verse 24, King David said to Ornan, who said to David, I'll give you this threshing floor. I'll give you the ox. I'll give you everything you need to worship God. I'll give it all. You can have the ground. You can have my threshing you can have my ox. You can have everything. It's, it's all yours. And David said to him, no. I will buy it for the full price. I, listen to this. I will not take that which is yours for the Lord. Nor offer burnt offerings without a cost. So David gave to Ornan the place 600 shekels of gold. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. And I, I get this from David because here's David. And he's like, this relationship with God and my worship with God is going to cost me. It's going to cost me. And I am not, listen, this is, I believe this would be David's attitude. I am not going to come and worship God because you paid for it. I'm not going to take advantage of your sacrifices and your offerings and your giving so that I can come into this place and worship God and it doesn't cost me anything. No. It's going to cost me something. And that was the attitude of David's heart. That God had great respect for. And I ask you. For that to be. The condition of our heart. You see I think David would have fell very well. Into 2 Corinthians 9. As a cheerful giver. I think David would have fallen very well. Into 2 Corinthians 9. As a man who purposed in his heart. How he was going to give to God. Purposed in it. And that is a delight to God. And that is a great blessing to the kingdom of God. And God having the desires of his Work done in the world. <clears throat> I share a little testimony with you. <clears throat> when I got saved when I was five, because I stole something from the store, God called me a thief in my bedroom, and I knew I was going to hell. I was terrified, so I surrendered myself to the only one I knew could save me, and that's Jesus. And He saved me when I was five. 
And I'm his worst child. But I'm saved. He's my father and I'm his son. When I was six years old, the Lord baptized me in the Holy Spirit. Something happened to me that day that wrecked my life. I loved this. I loved it. And I still do. I love his word because I love him. There's nothing more important to me than Jesus. There's nothing I want for you other than Jesus. I want you to know the joy of Jesus. I want you to have what I've had. I want you to know what I know. That's that's what I do when I stand up here every week and talk to you about the Lord. I want you to have what I have. I don't want anything from you. I want to give you everything I can. I want you to have the joy. I want you to have the the knowledge of God. I want you to have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit on your life. Because without this, it's just a religious and it's pathetic. And I've known that. And I've known shame and I've known the guilt of sin. And I know what it is to be an absolute failure because I feel like one almost every day. But I do know his presence. When I was six years old, I couldn't get enough of this. I read it every day. Still do. Read it every day. I'm constantly learning new things about Jesus. Every time I read it. God moves me. When I was six years old, I read about giving. And I read 2 Corinthians chapter 9. When I was six years old, I read it. Didn't understand it. I studied it myself. I talked to my one of my ministers at the church that I was going to who would teach me when I was six years old, a Sunday school teacher and an associate pastor at that church. And I said, I've been reading 2 Corinthians 9, and I don't understand it, but this is what I've been learning. And they're like, yeah, that's it's really good. It's really good. So everything, you're, you're, you're on the right track, Lee. And so I just read it, and then, then, it, then it was like the Holy Spirit said, when are you going to start doing it? I said, okay, I'm going to start doing it. I don't have any money, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start giving my birthday money to the church. And I'm going to give my birthday money to missions. I'm six years old. If, I, if I'm able to do a little chore here or there and I make some money, I'm going to give it to the Lord. I'm going to put it in the offering plate. I'm going to give it to missions. I, I was a young, young boy, and I, I remember... On TV, there was this guy named Rex Humbard. And so I used to watch Rex Humbard. I, I used to watch Shambach. I used to watch Swaggart. I just, I was just, I watched, I just, I was glued to Jesus. And so these avenues of, of just the ministry, I was just glued to it. it, it Jesus arrested me. And well, I, I thought Rex Humbard's daughter was pretty. So I said, I'm going to. I'm going to support that ministry because I want her to stay on TV. And so anyway, I, I gave to Rex Humbard every month. I joined his ministry. He sent me these letters every month, sent me the little card where I could put in 50 cents. That's all I had sometimes. I'd put in 50 cents, send it back to him. And so I, I just started doing this and I started giving And I have found through my life the absolute faithfulness of God. I could not even begin to tell you how blessed I am. 
I want the young people to know this. You don't give when you live in your dreams. You give so you can. I just want the young people to know that. And you give what you can. And you give every time you can. And you do it from your heart because you love the Lord. And God causes all grace to abound to you. I'm not a confident person. I'm not smart. I'm not talented. I'm not skilled in anything. But God called me into a life with him. Where God would give me the grace to do whatever it is he wanted me to do. And I just believed that he would. And I've watched all grace abound to me. And those of you that don't believe that and you don't give. Say, oh, we don't have to give. I'm under grace. I don't need to give. That's my son on the drums. That's my son on the guitar. That's my daughter leading worship. That's my wife leading the choir. And we're healthy. And we're serving Jesus. And we love Jesus. I have a nice home. I have nice automobiles. He may take them away tomorrow. But I've got him. I've been to the Nile River. I've seen the Great Pyramids. I've ridden camels. Which I'll never do again. (laughs) Submarines. Airplanes, trains, cars and cycles. Bikes and motorcycles. And other things. I don't know what they were. I have homes all over the world. I've got a huge family. I've got people that would give me the shirt off their back. I've got friends all over this nation. I preached in Nazareth where Jesus grew up. I sailed on the Sea of Galilee. I prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. I preached in the Kremlin. I hiked. Machu Picchu. That's something to write down. Not that, but Lee hiked. (laughs) I hate hiking. Don't ask me to go on a hike with you. I've been to the Berlin Wall. I've been to the Giant's Causeway. I had a worship service under John Knox's tree. Some of you don't even know what that means. I've seen the power of God. I've seen the dead raised. I've seen cripples walk. I've seen blind people see. I've seen people set free from demon possession. I've watched the devil run in fear of Jesus Christ. I've slept in castles in Transylvania. You better believe it. And one night I had a demon throw me over in my bed. Face to face, I told that demon, I don't know who gave you the permission to be here, but for the next three nights, this is the house of the ambassador of Jesus Christ, and you're not welcome here. 
And I watched that demon go out of that room and not bother me again. I've seen the greatest things that this world could ever show us. I've seen the most marvelous things in God. And I can say, I am abundantly blessed. And all I know is it started when I was six years old. As just somebody who loved Jesus and I want to be a part. Because I'm that guy, I always want to be a part. I want to play. I don't want to watch it. I want to play. I'm the little kid in the dugout. Freshman in high school on a varsity baseball team in the dugout telling the coach, if you want to win, put me in. He knew if he put me in, we wouldn't win. But I didn't know that. I just wanted to play. I don't want to watch. I want to play. I say that to you guys. On behalf of God's word, I extend to you the abundance of God's grace. I cannot make you walk in it. But I can sure invite you to it. I don't know what what it is today. I would say close your checkbook and live on your own. Or open it and live by heaven. You tell me you can't give. And I would say the reason you can't give is because you don't give. That's why you can't. Everybody can. So I, I encourage you to, if you will, just push yourself into the presence of God and, and, and ask the Lord, what's in your heart? What can I do to help fulfill it? Because I love you. What can I do to fulfill it? I want you to stand with me. I want to read this to you as we close. Hebrews 13. I just want to read it to you. Listen to me. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Just listen. Let's be as still as we can. This is not the time to leave church. Let's be still. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's my contentment. It's not this church. 2016 I gave all this up this is not my contentment he is and he's enough he said to me I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you So that I can live my life and boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man will do to me. When was the last time anybody asked you a question? How do you do that? 
do you do that? You say, well, I got a good job. I make a lot of money. I'm fortunate. Or how many of us are doing things that there's absolutely no explanation for it at all except for God? I meet people around the world. They watch us. They counsel with us. Pastors ask me questions and they say, Hey, how big is your church? I said, Well, we got a handful of people. Just got a big God. Come on, handful of people. Y'all got thousands over there, don't you? They can't believe what these few people get to do. The testimony of this church is a miracle. Not because we have a lot, but because we give with grateful hearts and God multiplies it. But there's so much more that God wants us to do. And if you need something from God and you need more, I'll tell you the grace of asking God for provision is to give what you got. Hey, um, Jesus comes up to Peter and them says, Hey, um, I need to talk to this people, but they're pressing on me. I mean, they're about to push me into the sea. Can I use your boat? Peter says, Yeah, Lord, you can use our boat. So Jesus gets in the boat. They go off from the land a little bit. Jesus preaches to the people. After he does that, Jesus turns to Peter. He says, let's go fishing. Oh, Lord, we fished all night. Now, you're a carpenter, and we're fishermen. We fished all night, didn't catch anything. Go out there. I'm going to tell you where to throw your net, and you're going to bring in more fish than you can possibly haul in. They gave to him their boat. He gave to them success in their business. But don't think that's just the way it's going to happen for you. I don't know how God will open the abundance of grace to you. I just tell you, he will. He will. But don't wait for that when you got him. He's your contentment. So I ask you this, if you just would ask the Lord, would you give me a change of heart? Would you make me a cheerful giver? Because it's not just about money. It's about time, prayers, service, anything like that. Would you give me a, would you give me a, a willing heart, a joyful heart, a heart like David says, you know, I'm not going to a church, put two bucks in the offered plate and then worship God off of everybody else's expenses. I'm going to pay something myself. I'll be a part of that. Join with me. I want God to change my heart. I need a better heart.